So today is week number two in our series on spiritual disciplines. And today we're going to take a step back and give an introduction to spiritual disciplines as a whole. Now when it comes to spiritual disciplines, we probably have a few questions. First of all, what are they? Question number two, which ones are most important? Question number three, why? What, why I mean, why do them? Uh, in the Bay Area, there are two resources that we are in short supply of. They are time and toilet paper, thanks to the coronavirus. You guys, you guys have been to Costco, you know what I'm talking about? No, but you've heard in the news. And so, if I'm in short supply of time in the beginning of my day, thoroughly busy throughout, and then I have a few precious few moments of free time at the end of the day, why would I ever want to carve out from that precious resource of time, which I don't, very, I don't have very much of, why would I want to invest my precious time on something that has the word discipline in it? So that's question number three. Question number four, what if I don't feel like it? You guys ever been there? What if I just don't feel like it? Uh, I remember a very godly, very passionate woman for God telling me that in her quiet time, she said, honestly, in the past season, Andrew, it's just so boring. That's what she said to me. And I remember thinking that if she's thinking that, how many people are thinking the same thing? And so this is a real issue. What if I don't feel like doing it? All right. So those are the four questions. Number one, what are spiritual disciplines? I'm going to start off with um, a good definition. It's from a professor who wrote a classic on the subject, and he defines it like this. The spiritual disciplines are those practices in Scripture that promote spiritual growth, among believers in the gospel of Jesus Christ. They are habits of devotion, habits of experiential Christianity that have been practiced by God's people since biblical times. Now that's a good definition given by a reputable professor. Here's another one from a good Bible teacher. Here he goes. The spiritual disciplines are right doing that leads to right being. Let me hear you guys say right doing. Let me hear you guys say right being. Right doing that leads to right being. Okay, now here's another one. This is from one of my youth. When I was a youth pastor, I asked this really smart kid, just happened to be Calvin's son, um, to define spiritual disciplines, and he said, <clears throat> I'm quoting, Dude, it's stuff you do to get closer to God. And I was like, man, that was good. I'm stealing that. Um, he doesn't say dude, by the way, anymore. But um, stuff you do to get closer to God. Now, I was meeting someone for breakfast recently, college student, and we had a good conversation. And she says to me, you know, recently, I, I haven't been feeling very close to God. I'm just going to pause right there. She said to me, I haven't been feeling very close to God. And so I'm just going to ask you, can you relate to that? Uh, I, I haven't been feeling very close to God lately. 
Is there anything I can do to feel more connected? Is there anything I can do to feel closer? And the, the answer is, well, there are these things called spiritual disciplines. They are, dude, stuff you do to get closer to God. All right, second question. Which ones are most important? Which ones are most important? Now, here's a list of 12 of them. You can write them down if you care to. They're from Richard Foster's classic book, The Celebration of Disciplines. He, um, each of these disciplines is one chapter. I'm going to go through them really quick. Meditation, prayer, fasting, study, simplicity, solitude, submission, service, confession, worship, guidance, and celebration. Now, uh, which of these are most important, you might be wondering. And you might be expecting me to say something like, whichever one works best for you in getting closer to God. And there's wisdom in that, but I'm actually not going to say that. I think they're all important. You all hear me? I think they're all important. But I believe the two most important ones are the Word of God and prayer. In fact, if you're going to become a master of of two, I would strongly encourage you to focus on these, the Word of God and prayer, and then everything else that is very important will just flow from those two. Don Whitney, who is best known for his classic book on spiritual disciplines, when he was asked which spiritual disciplines were most important, he said this, the answer to that is very clear. The two most important personal spiritual disciplines are the intake of the word of God in prayer, and in that order. For it is much more important for us to hear from God through his word than for God to hear from us in prayer. Do you agree? I I do. Now, today I'm going to call time in God's word and prayer. I'm just going to go old school. I'm going to use an old school word. How many of you guys have heard the, the, the term quiet time? Yeah, well, so when I say quiet time, I'm talking about the word of God and prayer and doing that on a regular daily basis, quiet time. Okay, now that brings us to our third question, which is, why do them? Why, why, why should I do them? Can I say that with a little less, less attitude? Like, why should I do them? Why, why do them? Somebody says, look, I'm not getting enough sleep. I'm not getting enough time to spend with my family. I have a lot of time. I don't have a lot of time in the morning before work or school. So whatever precious free time I have at the end of the day is mine to do wonderful things like watch Korean drama. Amen. Or go to the gym so I can look like Denny, amen? Or, or talk to my roommate or go on social media. You know, these wonderful things that bring joy to my life. Why would I want to spend that time to read the Bible? Which is like some people have said so boring. And to pray when I would rather be watching shows on Netflix like Crash Landing on You, Amen. I, I, okay, so for this question, I have two responses. Why do spiritual disciplines? Why do them? Okay, here's number one. Now, I'm thinking this might be counterintuitive, but here it goes. It's for the sake of joy. 
It's for, do, it, do it for the sake of joy. In fact, I would say make the aim of your quiet time joy. It, make the aim of the, the best answer I could probably give you on why you should is given to me by two of my favorite Bible teachers. And here is what they said. They said, make the aim of your quiet time, make the end, make the aim of your time in God's word and prayer, make the aim joy. Make that the aim, make that the goal, joy. Now, I, I, I'm, I'm thinking that most people probably don't make that the end. Most people probably don't make that the goal. I think most people, for the aim of their quiet time, the, the aim for may, maybe a lot of people in the room is to have the quiet time. Like, that's the aim. It is to fulfill my Christian duty. It's to do it and then to check off that thing from my list so I can be faithful. Like, maybe that resonates with you. Like, yeah, yeah, actually, that is most of the time the reason I do it. It's, it's what I'm supposed to do as a good Christian. Now, now, hear me say, I'm going to say, that's not such a bad motivation. The desire to be faithful is not a bad desire. But I would submit to you that the desire for joy is a better motivation. Now, let me back this up with the Bible, okay? But we're going to go quick, but I, I definitely want to make, make sure we all know this is right within the very heart and movement of Scripture. So, it goes back, this, this do it for joy in God. It goes back to Moses, Deuteronomy 28, 47. This is Moses, through, uh, uh, God is speaking through Moses to the people and said, because you did not serve the Lord your God with joy and a glad heart dot 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 therefore you shall serve your enemies it's like okay that's that's kind of a harsh consequence for lack of joy yes it is i would submit to you that it's probably a natural consequence actually let's keep on going it goes back to king david who said serve the lord with gladness Delight yourself in the Lord who said, In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Like at the right hand of God are these amazing, everlasting pleasures forever. That's King David. It goes back to Jesus. It goes back to Jesus who said, I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. The, this is why I'm giving you this teaching. It's for the sake of joy. This is why I've labored. It's for the sake of joy. Jesus, who endured the cross, as the writer of Hebrews wrote, for the joy set before him. How about this one? The Apostle Paul who described himself as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Who commanded Christians to rejoice in the Lord always. I say it to you again, rejoice. 
rejoice. It goes back to thousands of missionaries who have left everything for Christ. In the end, they have said, I've never made a single sacrifice. So, I would encourage you all to make the aim of your quiet time not faithfulness, but joy. Not duty, but delight. And, and here's the thing. If you do it with duty and it's boring and there's no joy, chances are it's just not going to be very sustainable. You're probably going to stop doing it. But if the aim is joy, not only will you do it, but chances are it will be self-sustaining because you will come back for more. Because as human beings, we are intrinsically motivated towards joy. No one has to tell you or me to stuff my face with chocolate cake. No one has to tell me to do it. You know why I do it? Joy. No one has to tell Calvin to watch Korean drama. Do you know why he does it? Joy. How about making the aim of your quiet time, not just that you did it, not just that you fulfilled your Christian duty, but make the aim finding joy in Christ and not only will you bring, not only will that bring you joy, but it will glorify the Lord in a more excellent way. Now let me put this this way really quickly. Let's say my wife who's sitting right there says to me, hey, um, let's find childcare and go on a date. You know, let's, let's go and, and put down a lot of money and find childcare and then and let's go somewhere really nice, Okay. And, and so I'm like, wow, like, um, really? And she says, yeah, yeah. But not because I want to. Honestly, it's really boring. If I'm honest, it's really boring. But I would like to fulfill my duty to you as a wife. Now, how am I feeling right now? How am I feeling? I, I, I'm feeling not great, but honestly, I would probably still take it and go. <clears throat> But if she says to me, it's a joy to spend time with you, you, you are my charming, amazing, awesomely wonderful husband. It is simply my joy and pleasure to spend time with you. What am I, th- what am I feeling now? What am I going to say? I'm going to say, who are you? <laughs> right? But, but, but I'm feeling honored, right? I, I'm, I'm feeling like, wow, right? I'm feeling, in a sense, I'm feeling kind of, I guess you could say, glorified. Why do the spiritual disciplines? Well, do them for the sake of joy. Do them for the sake of joy. I've been wanting to actually share this to you with you guys for maybe a couple years, but this series has given me the opportunity to share with you what I've learned. Do it for joy. Do it for joy. Do it for joy. Okay, that's reason number one. Here's reason number two. I only got two reasons for you why you should, okay? Here's reason number two. Spend time in God's word and prayer because you want to become more like Jesus. Why, why, why do it? Because you want to become more like Jesus, okay? 1 Timothy 4, 6 to 8. We're going to go through this, okay? 1 Timothy 4, 6 to 8. Paul says this to Timothy, if you put these things, now uh, just uh, by way of clarification, 
When he says these things, he's talking about good doctrine. Because the paragraph before this one, Paul is trying to correct false teaching from false teachers who were forbidding marriage and saying you can't eat this, you can't eat that. Okay, So Paul is saying if you put these things, good doctrine, before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. Being, and what's the next word, guys? Trained. Being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine, there it is, good doctrine, that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, and what's the next word again? Train. Rather, train yourself for godliness. Train yourselves for godliness. Now, in this context, it means train yourself in the good doctrine. Train yourself in good teaching. Train yourself in reading and studying and meditating on the scriptures. Now, does this apply to other disciplines like prayer? Yeah, I think it does. But notice the word train, train, train. There's a Bible teacher who says this. For much of my life, when I heard messages about following Jesus, I thought in terms of trying hard to be like him. One day, I finally realized that there is an immense difference between training to do something and trying to do something. There's a difference between training and trying. Now, let me try to illustrate this for you. Um, Denny, would you please come forward? Now, let me, just, let me explain why I'm choosing Denny. First of all, uh, I've been wanting to pick on him for a long time. Uh, second of all, Denny looks pretty athletic. Can I get an amen? Okay. Now, whether he is, I don't know, but, but he looks pretty athletic, all right? Now, we're going to actually try to test his athleticism. Okay, but here's the thing. Denny, do you know why they call a hula hoop a hula hoop? I don't know. It's got kind of a ring to it. Okay. Uh, I want you to go right there. That was, that was for you. That was Pretty free. Good. That was free. That was free. Okay. Now, what I want you to do is um, how many times are we going to allow Denny to try to hula hoop? One time. Linda is so generous. She's like, one time. Okay, Denny, you have one time to try to hula hoop. When was the last time you, you hula'd? Third grade. Okay. Okay, and so that's a very long time ago. You have not hula'd for a very long time, right? Okay, here you go. Now, I'm just going to give you a hint. Um, you're going to spin it probably really fast, and it's really all about, yeah. That's all the practice you get, okay? Are you ready? Okay, on the count of three... You're going to spin. You're going, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, you're going to twirl. Now, you know the point is it's got to be, okay, you, you, got, you got it, right? Okay? Okay. Uh, church, help me. Three, two, one. Ready? Three, two, one. Let's go. <laughs> Boom. That, that's all the try you got, brother. Look at, the, look at the little lights of that twirl around. That's really nice, right? That was like 2.1 seconds. That's it. That's all you got. Thank you, Denny. Love you, Denny. Okay. All right, now, 
You, you see, what Denny did is he tried, and he tried, and Denny, I love you, but you know, you tried and you, you failed, right? But you tried, you tried. That was, that was trying, right? You all with me? That was trying, right? It's different if he's training. Now, what's training? Training is every day Denny is doing that, right? And every day he's like shaking them hips, right? And then he comes here, and then now it's time to test. Now it's time to try. And he's not trying anymore, but all that training leads to doing. You see the difference? Now, a lot, of, a lot of people are like, yeah, I'm trying to be more like Jesus. I'm trying to love God. I'm trying to live in the gospel. I'm trying to be a loving person. I'm trying to say the right words at the right time, and I'm failing. You know why? It's because you're, you're doing a lot of trying. But here, Paul's like, it's not about trying. It's not about trying. It's about training. And when you train, then at the moment when it counts, like Denny right here, he could be doing it, and we'd be all like, woo, right? But it didn't happen. Because training leads to that, not trying. That's the difference between training and trying. So Paul says, train yourself for godliness. But I want to paraphrase that. Godliness means to be like Christ. So I'm going to paraphrase this. Train yourselves to be like Christ. For while bodily training of some value, did you hear that? It's of some value. Some. But godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Paul's like, going to the gym is pretty good for this life. But spending time in God's word is like good for this life. It's good for all your relationships. Primarily your relationship with God. But then it affects every other relationship. And it is just going to do wonders for you and for me for eternity. Now, there is a weakness to every illustration. I, I find myself these days saying that I'm the master of bad illustrations. But right now, it kind of sounds like I'm saying, if you train really hard by your own willpower, you can be just like Jesus. And that's not exactly how it works. I want you to consider the difference between piloting a motorboat or a sailboat. Piloting a motorboat or a sailboat. You can run a motorboat all by yourself. You're in control. You're in control. But a sailboat... Very different story. A sailboat, you can hoist the sails, you can steer the rudder, but you're completely dependent upon the wind. If the wind does not blow, you and your sailboat is going nowhere really fast. This is how it works with spiritual disciplines. You can wake up in the morning, you can spend 20 minutes in God's word, but it doesn't mean that you have truly encountered God. You can come here on a Sunday morning, you can sing the songs of worship, but it doesn't mean that your heart is burning with passion. So I guess the point is, we all have a part to play. you got to raise up your sail. But then you have to realize that a spiritual discipline does not take you anywhere without the supernatural power of God. So you raise up that sail, but then you say, Lord, I am so dependent upon you to make this quiet time go. If there is going to be joy, it's got to come from you. So you do your part. You realize that the whole thing doesn't work unless God 
does his. So raise your sail, but it doesn't go until God's wind blows. All right, my last question is this. Jerry, can I get a little bit more? Uh, My last question is this. Well, what if I don't feel like it? I mean, right now, I'm hearing this, but honestly, when it comes time, there's just not the motivation. I I just don't feel like it. I'd rather do other things. What if I don't feel like it? Now, I I think this is a a totally legit question. I think a lot of people are not having times with God because, honestly, I just, I don't feel like it. You know, I think I'd rather do something else. All right. Now, legitimate question. Can we turn to a neighbor? I'd like you to share your best answer for, well, what if you don't, what if I don't feel like it? What what do you think the answer should be? Or what would be your honest answer? Uh, Turn to someone next to you. I'm going to give you like 30 seconds each. Go for it. And can we have the other person share? All right, um, <clears throat> I, I would love to hear what people have said. I don't think we have time to. I'm, I'm going to let you hear what C.S. Lewis um, said, okay? I'm going to read a quote from C.S. Lewis. Here, here is C.S. Lewis. Um, he says this, A perfect man, a perfect woman, would never act from a sense of duty, He or she always would want the right thing more than the wrong one. Duty is only a substitute for love of God and of other people. Like a crutch, which is a substitute for a leg. Most of us need the crutch at times, but of course it is idiotic to use the crutch when our own legs, our own loves, tastes, habits can do the journey on their own. So here is C.S. Lewis, who seems to be saying, if, if you and I were a perfect man or woman, we would never act from a sense of duty. He or she would always want to do the right thing. Like in your heart, you want to spend time with God. But because we're not there and because we have sin, we can't even desire that which is most desirable. So it's kind of weird, right? So what do you do? And some people say, well, then you just, you just do nothing. And I think C.S. Lewis is saying, no, 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 no. That's when discipline kicks in. Okay, so let me put it like this, okay? Uh, right, right now I have a pair of crutches, okay? So, and, and right now I'm right here, and I want to get right in the middle of that aisle. Now, right in the middle of that aisle is joy, and right in the middle of that aisle is being connected to God. I want to feel close to God, okay? 
but I'm right here, I'm not there, and I want to feel that joy, I want to feel that connection, I want to be more like Jesus. What do I do? Now here's, here are my two legs, and according to C.S. Lewis, those things are called desires. My desire is not what it should be. I, I can't even want the thing that's really, truly, ultimately good for me. I, I don't even want to go there. Well, I want to go there, but I, I did, I don't, I'd rather do something else. I'd rather stay over here. So C.S. Lewis is like, well, you know what you do then? Then you lean into something called discipline. With like a crutch. So look, my leg is all busted, my desire is all busted, and what you can do out of discipline is you can actually start moving towards that. But it's not ideal, it's not what I want to do, but I'm leaning on discipline. You guys, you all, all with me? Now here's the thing, when I'm doing this, I'm not pretending that it's something that it's not. I'm not, I'm not because that's called hypocrisy. I'm not saying, oh God, I really love to be with you right now, because I don't right now. And so I'm really honest. I'm like, God, right now, I'm here by discipline. I'm here out of duty. I'm here because I want to be faithful. But here's the thing, God, would you please transform this time so it's not driven by discipline, but it's driven by my desire. Now, how many of you have ever been in a quiet time where you entered in, with discipline, but you, you kind of entered, I mean, exited out where it was more driven by desire. Like in the middle of your quiet time, you actually started to feel it. There was joy. Sometimes what happens is the, the, the desire kicks in by God's grace and then the crutches fall and then you're just like, whoa. And then you're just like walking in that joy, right? It doesn't happen all the time. But here's the heart. The heart is like, I want to be connected to God, you know? I want to be there. I want to be in closer communion with God. And so um, there are a lot of times where discipline, like a crutch, can be very useful. And so C.S. Lewis is saying, yeah, use discipline, but be really honest with the Lord and say, Lord, would you meet me in this time? Would you transform my discipline into delight and into desire? All right. I have one last story, and this is what I'd like to end with. It's a story written by uh, John Orberg, and here it goes. It's the story of Mabel. He writes this. He, he writes, um, The state-run convalescent hospital is not a pleasant place. It is large, understaffed, and overfilled with senile and helpless and lonely people who are waiting to die. On the brightest of days, it seems dark inside, and it smells of sickness and stale urine. I went there once or twice a week for four years, but never wanted to go there, and I always felt left with a sense of relief. It's not the kind of place one gets used to. On this particular day, I was walking in a hallway that I had not visited before, looking in vain for a few who were alive enough to receive a flower and a few words of encouragement. This hallway seemed to contain some of the worst cases, strapped onto carts or into wheelchairs and looking completely helpless. As I neared the end of this hallway, I saw an old woman strapped up in a wheelchair. Her face was an absolute horror. The empty stare and the white pupils of her eyes told me that she was blind. The large hearing aid over one ear told me that she was almost deaf. One side of her face was being eaten by cancer. 
There was a discolored and running sore covering one part of her cheek, and it had pushed her nose to one side, dropped one eye, and distorted her jaw so that what should have been the corner of her mouth was the bottom of her mouth. As a consequence, she drooled constantly. I was told later that when new nurses arrived, the supervisor would send them to feed this woman, thinking that if they could stand the sight, they could stand anything in the building. I also learned later that this woman was 89 years old and that she had been here bedridden, blind, nearly deaf, and alone for 25 years. This was Mabel. I don't know why I spoke to her. She looked less likely to respond than most of the people I saw in that hallway. But I put a flower in her hand and said, here's a flower for you. Happy Mother's Day. She held the flower up to her face and tried to smell it. And then she spoke. And much to my surprise, her words, although somewhat garbled because of her deformity, were obviously produced by a clear mind. She said, thank you, it's lovely. But can I give it to someone else? I can't see it, you know. I'm blind. I said, of course. And I pushed her in her chair back down the hallway to a place where I thought I could find some alert patients. I found one, and I stopped the chair. Mabel held out the flower and said, here, this is from Jesus. That was when it began to dawn on me that this was not an ordinary human being. Later, I wheeled her back to her room and learned more about her history. She had grown up on a small farm that she had managed with her mother until her mother died. Then she ran the farm alone until 1950 when her blindness and sickness sent her to the convalescent hospital. For 25 years, she got weaker and sicker with constant headaches and backaches and stomach aches, and then the cancer came too. Her three roommates were all human vegetables who screamed constantly but never talked. They often soiled their bedclothes, and because the hospital was understaffed, especially on Sundays when I usually visited, the stench was often overpowering. Mabel and I became friends over the next few weeks, and I went to see her once or twice a week for the next three years. Her first words to me were usually an offer of hard candy from a tissue box near her bed. Some days I would read to her from the Bible, and often when I would pause, she would continue reciting the passage from memory word for word. And on other days, I would take a book of hymns and sing with her, and she would know all the words of the old songs. For Mabel, these were not merely exercises in memory. She would often stop in mid-hymn and make a brief comment about lyrics she considered particularly relevant to her own situation. I never heard her speak of loneliness or pain, except in the stress she placed on certain lines and certain hymns. It was not many weeks before I turned from a sense that I was being helpful to a sense of wonder. And I would go to her with a pen and paper and write down the things she would say. During one hectic week of final exams, I was frustrated because my mind seemed to be pulled in ten different directions all at once. The question occurred to me, what does Mabel have to think about hour after hour, day after day, week after week, not even able to know if it's day or night. So I went to her and said, Mabel, what do you think about when you lay here? And she said to me, I think about my Jesus. I sat there and thought for a moment about the difficulty for me of thinking about Jesus even five minutes. And I asked, 
what do you think about Jesus? And she replied slowly and deliberately as I wrote, I think about how good he's been to me. He's been awfully good to me in my life, you know. I'm one of those kind who's mostly satisfied. Lots of folks wouldn't care much for what I think. Lots of folks would think I'm kind of old-fashioned, but I don't care. I'd rather have Jesus. He's all the world to me. And then Mabel began to sing an old hymn. Jesus is all the world to me. My life, my joy, my all. He is my strength from day to day. Without him I would fall. When I am sad, I go to him. No other can cheer me so. When I am sad, he makes me glad. He's my friend. This is not fiction. Incredible as it may seem, a human being really lived like this. I know, I knew her. How could she do it? Seconds ticked and minutes crawled, and so did days and weeks and months and years of pain without human company, without an explanation of why it was all happening. And she lay there and sang hymns. How could she do it? The answer, I think, is that Mabel had something that you and I don't have much of. She had power lying there in the bed, unable to move, unable to see, unable to hear, unable to talk to anyone. She had incredible power. You and I can have this power if we only die to ourselves and allow the Holy Spirit to fill us to overflowing. Would you all pray with me? Father God, I pray that the words of this message would hit its mark. Your scripture will not come back to you void or empty. It will produce that for which you have sent. Father, I do ask that you would help us to desire you, to want to spend time with you. And if we don't, may we lean upon the crutches of discipline and ask you there to meet us and to transform our desires so that we desire that which is ultimately best and you are ultimately best. We submit to you this humble prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen.